privilege to, to be speaking. Uh, it's a real privilege and honor to be. I don't take it for granted or think you know, that I should be here for any particular reason. Thank you for asking me to be here, and it's a real honor. So I just wanted to say that. Um, many kind of alluded a little bit to why I'm here, and that is that over the last couple of years, God's been taking me on a journey learning about the Father heart. And as sons and daughters, we can go through that journey, that we are not orphans, that we are dearly loved children of, of God. And as I've been going on that journey, the Father's been teaching me through my love for my own daughters just how much he loves his, actually, and how he wants them to walk in freedom and how he wants the church to be a place with male and female, sons and daughters, walking together and encouraging one another. And so that's what's, uh, that's what's been on my heart. So I've been teaching and reading. If you look at my Kindle, you'd probably think that's not my Kindle, uh, but I'm reading lots of books and biographies and... And, and that. So I think that's why I'm here, because God's doing something on my heart, and he's given me an opportunity to share it. So where are we going? Uh, what are we talking about? Where are we going? Well, it is Aroha Nui, so we, we want to talk about um, love. But I want to do that th- uh, through this verse here, which is uh, in John chapter 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. And we're going to do a Bible study on, this, on these two verses. And we're going to learn a few things, all right? First of all, we're going to see that to be sanctified is to be set apart for belonging and purpose. We are going to see that it is his word or his truth that sets us apart. We are going to see that God's word always leads us towards his great love, his aroha nui. Because God is love, and his word is an expression of himself. Uh, and we are going to see that, that in that love, because of that love, through that love, we are set apart as sons and daughters to be sent into the world. Okay? So short passage, lots to get through. Uh, but I hope you guys, uh, women, ladies, guys, are up for it. Yeah? Cool? Just correct me at any point or jump in and whatever. Now, brief context is, uh, of this passage is that it's Jesus praying. All right? It's not some arbitrary theological statement. You know, it, is, it is him praying. But more than that, it's him praying before he goes to the cross. Like He's kneeling down and he's praying to his father. It's like his last will and testament. Like It's his dying wish. And what's on his heart at this moment is that he's praying for his sons, or his brothers. He's praying for his sisters that they might be sanctified in truth and sent into the world. So as you read this, what, you are, what, what we are learning is what's on Jesus' heart, his yearning desire for us, for you as, as, um, as the father's daughters. I think it's important to remember. Okay, so we're going to get into it. We'll get, we'll get started. The first thing, first question I ask is, what does the word sanctify mean? Now, to help me, at least, understand this, I want to give you an illustration of a banquet. I mean, imagine the fanciest dinner that you've ever been to, long tables, you know, flowing gowns and dinner suits and things like that. Now, I found myself at one, a similar banquet to this one. Well, not this one, because this is the Nobel Peace Prize uh, Award, so I was not there. Uh, but when, when we finished Earthquake Strengthening St. Mary of the Angels Church in Wellington, we had, before the pews went back in, we put two long tables in, and I was responsible for help setting it up, and we had this amazing banquet. It was $500 a head. All these amazing people were there. The Prime Minister was there. MPs were there. And uh, little old me was there as well, wondering, what am I doing here? 
But imagine yourself at this dinner banquet. Imagine me at this dinner banquet. I'm used to muddy boots. I'm used to you know, looking, uh, talking, smelling like a builder. And there I am now, in a, in a, I'm in a suit. Uh, I've, I've had a wash, you'll be thankful to know. I've, wiped, you know, I've, I've, I've wiped the smoko off my, off my face. And I'm there, and I'm washed clean. That's not really sanctification. That's another word, justification. You find yourself in a setting and you find yourself with an amazing gown that you didn't pay for. You find yourself washed clean, pure, spotless, blameless, holy. That is the word justification. That's like a law court moment where God says you are guilty. So you are not guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Just Just making sure you're with me, right? You are spotless. You are blameless. That's what he says over his daughters in a moment in time when you become a Christian. And that is a beautiful thing. But not quite, just, not quite sanctification. So what, does, what is sanctification and what would it look like in this banquet setting? Well, until recently, I understood sanctification to simply mean a character transformation over time that I might become more and more like Jesus. All right? So that's what I've, I've understood it to mean. So in a banquet setting, it would kind of be like learning to act in a manner worthy of the occasion. Okay, So I stop picking my nose. All right? I stop scratching my butt. I, uh, you know what I mean? I use the right fork for the salad. You know? And uh, I unbutton my shirt. I'm looking around the room and like everyone sits down there unbutton their shirt. So I'm, oh, sorry, not their shirt, their, their dinner. Yeah, gosh. Jacket, yes, yes. I'm learning. This is, I need help. I need sanctifying. I need sanctifying. You can tell. I'm starting from right down here. All right? So I have the identity, but I, I, I'm, as you can see, I'm still learning to act in a becoming way. All right? Now, that kind of makes sense of what sanctification means, and it works for a while. Well, actually, it works for all of two verses until Jesus starts talking about sanctifying himself. Jesus never had to undo the effects of sin in his life and grow into the image of Christ because he already is. But he says in verse 19 that he sanctifies himself. So whatever sanctification means, it does include acting in a manner worthy of the occasion of our new identity but it, you know, and enjoying our sweet new you know, suits or flowing gowns, but it's actually much more than that. You see... When I'm at the dinner, I need to realise that I'm not just there to learn which fork to use. I'm actually there for a great purpose. I belong there, and I'm there to celebrate the occasion. I'm there to honour the efforts of the team. I'm there to thank the donors who have given so much. I'm there for a purpose, to meet and to greet, and maybe even get a photo with the Prime Minister. You know, it's like, that's what I'm there for. I'm there for a purpose. So as one Bible dictionary puts it, much better than I can, to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. Things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's purpose and design. Or to re- Let's just rephrase that last sentence. 
A daughter of the Father is sanctified when she lives according to God's purpose and design. Amen? So, apologies in advance for this rather grotesque illustration, but in prepping for this preach, my pen is sanctified. I sanctify my pen when I stop picking earwax out of my ear with it, (laughs) flick it off, and I start using it to write thoughts about God's timeless and profound truths. Do you know what I mean? That is, I sanctify my pen. And it sounds gross, but sanctification is so much more than just flicking off the earwax. There is a purpose and design in it. So if all we're worried about is just using our fork right, we will miss the whole point that God has created you for purpose. You see, you belong to the Heavenly Father. You are in His hand. But He's not just holding you. (laughs) You have great purpose. You are an instrument in His hand. And that is the cry that is the yearning desire as Jesus goes to the cross that his daughters might be sanctified that they might know that they are that they belong to a loving heavenly father and they might know that he has purposes for them and that's the father's heart to communicate that's what I feel like God's put on my heart to share with you guys every single one of his daughters here to know that you belong but also that you are set apart you are not set aside in his eyes You are set apart. There's a difference. Set apart for great purpose. So, good stuff, eh? Jesus now goes on to share how he desires that to come about. You know, how do you go from uh, that to to that? You know, what? How do you start to walk in God's purposes? Well, he says. Sanctify in the truth. Your word is truth. So I want to move on to the second thing that we're looking at now. Sanctify in the truth. Your word is truth. Without going down a rabbit hole about truth, Jesus keeps it really simple. Anything that comes out of my dad's mouth is truth. And if you shower yourself with that, you will be sanctified. Now, let's just think about words for a moment. A word is something that proceeds from someone and in a way is part of that person. Words then have creative power that impart and shape situations in accordance with the speaker, in accordance with the character or the nature of the speaker. So let's just think about this, right? If you're full of love and kindness, what kind of words do you use? Loving and kind words. I mean, and you ladies know, when you use loving and kind words, what kind of environment does it create? Yeah, loving and kind environment. Words have creative power. Now, if you are feeling negative, pessimistic, bitter, what kind of words come out of the overflow of your heart? Yeah, and what kind of environment does it create? Words have the power of life and death. That's what Scripture says, right? And so words are powerful and creative, and they reveal something about the, about the speaker. So when God speaks a word... He reveals amazing things about himself and he creates and shapes things in you according to his character and according to his purpose. So this is why it's so important then that that I stand, that you stand 
under the shower of God's blessing, that is God's word, because when we do, we learn what's close to God's heart. We learn about him. His words create things and shape things in our life. It transforms our thinking that we might walk in his purposes, that we might walk in accordance to his purpose and design. We all want purpose, don't we? We are all hungry for purpose. Would anyone disagree with me on that? We all want purpose in our life. Now, this was made really clear to me. I, I went uh, only just was a few days ago uh, to a show by a guy called Brian Cox. Who, uh, do you, anyone know who this guy is? So he's like a popular scientist, cosmologist, and he, he's, um, you know, he's really good at communicating, and he, and he basically shares with you how big and amazing the universe is and how small and insignificant you are. And I, I, I walked out of, of this three-hour-long uh, thing just thinking, man, what's my purpose in all of this? Because, you know, from nothing to nothing, the world is, the universe is, you know, so big it blows my mind in the meantime. Where do I fit in all of that? And the best that he could come up with was, like, plan the flowers and build a fort with your son. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I want to do those things, but, like, I, I long for purpose, for an eternal purpose. And that's why this book here, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, is so immensely pop popular because we, we long for purpose. Do you know this book, just think about this, this book has sold 32 million copies. I mean, I, I was like procrastinating for this preach. I was like, okay, well, that's 21,000 cubic meters of books and that's, <laughs> that's 750 20-foot containers. I mean, that is the volume of the hunger for purpose in our life as men and women in Christ. Such is the, is the thing. But the cool thing is, actually, is that Jesus prays that we would walk in purpose too. It is his long and desire they might be sanctified and set apart. But he also gives us the means by which we find purpose in and through his truth. And his truth is his word. Now, you might be saying... His word. Okay, Matt, is this the part of the talk where, you know, you encourage me to read more of my Bible? Well, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not just the book we're interested in. It's the author of the book. It's not just a question of what truth is. Truth is the word, so here you go. Start reading it. It's a question of who truth is. It's a question of who the word is. So John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus there. And the Word became flesh. God became man. He became a person. So yes, Jesus' desire is that we be sanctified and that we read our Bible lots, but it's so that we encounter him as we engage with the Word. Now, in my Bible reading, you know who I want to be like? Mary of Bethany. And as I read the Bible, as I read the Word, I realize I'm not just reading a book. I'm sitting at his feet, at his feet. And his words are like life. And I'm encountering him. It's not just a book. It's the person. It's the author that we want to engage with. And as I read this and let it impact my thinking and transform my thinking, I am sanctified, and he sets me apart. He fills me with his aroha nui, and I can walk in great purpose. Mm. 
That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may understand what the will and purpose of God is. You want to understand what the will and purpose of, of God is for your life? Do a Mary of Bethany and sit at his feet. Uh, my challenge to you is, are, are you allowing time to sit at his feet and let his word wash over and transform you? It's a challenge, hey? And we say, you know, I'm so busy, you know, like, I hear you. Like, like I'm a parent, like, I hear you. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus doesn't shy away from saying to Mary's sister, Martha, that even the busyness of serving me is not reason enough not to spend time with me in my word. She was serving Christ, making him lunch. And he's like, no, you should, should be sitting at my feet and listening to me. Do you know the thing is lots of Christians are not sitting at Jesus' feet and letting, their, letting his words wash over them? Do you know how I know that? I'm jumping around a bit today. Oh, where did I put that? Here we go, right here. This is um, a scripture union uh, survey from 2017. Just want to sober you with some facts. Um, 60% of New Zealanders own a Bible. That's down from about 85% uh, in the 80s. So Bible ownership is on the way down. About 70, uh, sorry, about 7% of all New Zealanders read the Bible daily. But get these stats about Christians and Bible reading and ownership. 43% of Christians in New Zealand own a Bible, but rarely or never read it. 43%. Another 13% don't own a Bible at all. So 56% of all Christians in New Zealand are not being fed with the Word, are not being showered with and shaped by His Word. Now, I bet you 100% of Christians want to walk in God's purposes for their life. But 56% of them, according to this survey, never read their Bible. And I know it's challenging. It's like we live in an age of apps and podcasts, and like we can do everything but open the Word. And I want to encourage you, not as a guilt thing, but as an invitation into His purposes to be a strong woman of the word. Amen? So, what does this look like? I mean, it's awesome to hear that you've already had a workshop seminar on that. And if I don't spend too much time, I kind of had a plan to say, well, maybe you guys should break into groups and just chat about some, some ways that you engage with the word at the end for, you know, three to five minutes. Um, I just want to share a couple of quick ways um, that help me. And I've called them marathon and marinade. Uh, so marathon is just like read the Bible. You know what I mean? Just, just read it. Like read it book at a time, read it chronologically, uh, read it with a Bible plan, just open the book. There's a famous verse in Ezra that says, Ezra opened the book. And, and it's like that's the battle, isn't it? Ezra opened the book. And then they listened to him for like days and days while they were standing listening to him reading the words on the book. So open the book. So you can read chronological Bible plans. So you can read, it's actually really 
cool to read the New Testament chronologically because, you know, as you're reading Acts, you can, you can actually see where Paul is writing the letter at the same time or the Gospels, same thing. You can read the Old Testament chronologically. So, so when David is slaying Goliath or failing terribly with Bathsheba, you can read the Psalms and what's on his heart as that is happening. It's really quite a neat way to read it. And you can just Google chronological Bible plans. So I used to get home from work and just lie in a hammock for two hours at a time. This is before I was married or had, had kids, as you can guess. Um, and I'd just, I'd just read the Bible for like two hours until mum said, you know, come inside for dinner or something like that. Like, you just, we just find time. So I know it seems like a bit of a cheap shot, but it's just like, just read the Bible. I, or tick a, tick a book at a time in your contents page so that God will forgive you, you know, and then, and then as you read a book, and then read another book and tick it, and then eventually you'll tick all of them. But reading it in a big sweeping narrative is, it catches God's big picture. So that's marathon. Marinade is, is kind of like just taking a single verse uh, and, and, and reading it, rereading it, read it for an hour, read it for a day, read it for a week, and just mull it over. Um, I tried this recently while I was on holiday. Uh, I told you my wife is amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, every morning I get to go fishing for one or two hours before the day starts. And, um, and I, would just, I would just be out there on the water and, and I'll be look, listening to a verse like, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that's what I think about for like two hours. And I would think about it, pray through it, and I'm like, God gave, gave me a spirit of self-control and not of fear. Okay, Lord, where am I being controlled by fear and not by your spirit or not by myself? Where am I not stepping out because I'm being controlled by fear? Lord, help me by your spirit to walk in. You know, th- those sorts of conversations you're having with God shapes your mind. So you can just take one verse uh, and, and marinate on it. Amen? So there's just a couple of ways. I'm going to keep moving on because I, I want to keep to time. Um, but I just want to say, Jesus, do you know who I, I love Jesus' mum? She's pretty awesome, eh? And she is a, do you know that she was a woman of the word? You think of her as this young, you know, feeble teenager who God came to. She was a strong woman in the word. When the angel came to her and she said, let it be according to your word. And she sings this beautiful song. Every line, every phrase in that song is soaked in Old Testament scripture. It's, you should do a Bible study on it in your own time. It reflects, it, it's, it's, it's birthed from 1 Samuel chapter 2, it was Hannah's prayer, and there are allusions to as many as 20 different psalms in that one song, and as many as seven different prophets of the Old Testament. This is a woman who's strong in the word, and if there ever was a woman who was set apart for God's purposes, it might have been the woman who God incarnated his son through. <laughs> she was a strong woman of the word. Now, I'm going to keep moving on. So just in summary, we've looked at sanctification, that it means to be set apart. We've looked at the importance of God's word as his truth. And now I want to share something that I've been learning lately and something that is, I know, I know that God is just growing and developing in me. And, and that is that God's word always leads us to love because God is love and his word is an expression of himself. So to live in accordance with his purpose and design is to walk in love. You see, first of all, his words reveal his great love for me. You can't read the Bible and just be overwhelmed by the love of the Father. But they also challenge me 
in my love for others. A verse like this. Did I put that one up? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I mean, so much of the time I am irritable, and I need a verse like this to remind me that I am not acting in love, and God has another way for me. Now, going back to the banquet illustration, I am sinless, blameless, spotless, guiltless. I'm all of those things, so it's not a shame thing, because you can't get a mark on my shirt. There's no marks on my shirt. I'm holy, I'm blameless, but God is sanctifying me for great purpose, and as such, he wants me to walk in love, because without love, I'm just, a, I'm just a loud noise. I'm just a gonging symbol. Isn't that what Paul says? Like, this is, I gain nothing. So to walk in his purposes is to walk in love. So I need a verse like this when I'm going through relational strains, and I realize I'm being impatient and unkind. It doesn't condemn me, like I say, but it draws me to him. And we say, Lord, I'm not acting in love right now. Would you sanctify me by the truth? Would you help me to love well? I am convinced. I'm convinced of one thing, at least. And that is that when I stand before Jesus, I know he's going to ask me his question. I just know it. He's going to ask me, Matthew, did you learn to love? I don't think he's going to ask me about all my achievements first. He's going to say, Matthew, did you learn to love? And I want to be able to sort of, you know, lift my eyes up and see the scars on his hands and look into his loving eyes and say, yes, I learned to love. I learned from you. I learned how to love. We need his word to teach us how to love. Uh, another book recommendation, Mother Teresa. I mean, we studied her at school, right? But actually taking the time to read a biography about Mother Teresa, it, it, I just like, felt like bawling half the time. She says, it's not about doing great things with little love. God's not really interested in that. He wants you to do even just the smallest things with aroha nui, with big love. And as she did that, man, God breathed on it, and you see the greatness of what she achieved. Like you're talking like hundreds and thousands and millions of, of the poorest of the poor being served by her just showing great love in the small things. So I would, I would recommend you, um, you read a book like that. Um, I read it and was immensely challenged. And why is this love important? Well, because his love is the thing that sets us apart. For God so loved the world, he sent. It was in love that God sent. I love it that it's the Father's desire not just to send his son in love, but his daughters as well. I want to read you this uh, quote about foreign missions, which is not limited to foreign missions in terms of being sent, but I just found it inspirational either way. It's talking about the 1900s and the women's, uh, massive women's movement towards mission. Uh, women freely preached, evangelized, planted churches, trained nationals, established schools, and conducted humanitarian work. It was a cause, a movement that drew millions of women into its sphere, Indeed, and listen to this, it was substantially larger than any other of the other mass women's movements of the 19th century. By 1915, there were more than 3 million women 
on the membership rolls of some 40 female missionary societies. Three million women. The biggest mass movement of women in the 19th century was, a, was the father sending his daughters. I love that. I think that's awesome. It reminds me of this story, the woman at the well. I mean, we all know that story. It, it, it's, it's popular when we're talking about women in the church, isn't it? There's this woman and Jesus is teaching her. Well, this woman encapsulates everything that I'm trying to say this afternoon. She went to the well. Who did she encounter? What did she encounter? Yeah, and who's Jesus? God's word. <coughs> She encountered God's word, and he spoke truth, and he sanctified her. And then what did he do? She was sent. And then what happened? Like the whole, her whole community was transformed. Her whole family was upended. That is the desire of the father's heart for his daughters, that they would encounter Jesus and drink from him at the well, that they would be sent, but for a purpose. That you would be sent into your workplace, into your families, into your businesses, into your churches, into government, into all these areas that you might be sent, that communities might be transformed. And that just wasn't a one-off event. The Father is doing that continuously. I, I, I read a, um, a story about a lady called Christi, Christiania. Probably getting that wrong. Uh, she wrote a book called Queen of the Dark Chamber, she was a high-born Chinese woman. And listen to this woman, how, what she did when she was sent. Through reading the Bible and listening to preaching in English, she was converted to Christianity. Despite the hostility of all of her family members, they were converted to Christianity one by one through her testimony. For her mother, conversion to Christianity involved breaking a long-held opium-smoking habit, and that remarkable change sparked the interest of other family members. Soon after that, she, along with two of her sons and their wives and two cousins, were baptized. She began opening her home for group Bible studies. So effective that her, were her efforts that out of 200 students, 72 professed faith in Christ. The, and then she says, The brother who tore up my Bible and persecuted me in the early days at last confessed my Lord. In all, 55 of my relatives adults and children have become God's children and expressed their faith in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful story of one woman encountering the word, being set apart for purpose and then being sent? I think it's amazing. And like, I'm kind of running out of time, I know, but I just want to share like this lady here, she's my all-time heroine uh, and she was sent in love as well. Harriet Tubman, has anyone heard of Harriet Tubman before? So she, yeah, Becca has, yeah. Um, so this book's called uh, The Road to Freedom. So Harriet Tubman was born in 1822 into slavery in the southern states of America. Uh, she escaped north, uh, and she could have stayed there. She could have, you know, just been free. But she so loved her friends, her family, and complete strangers that she made some, uh, some, they reckon, at least 13 missions back down, and each one would take about a year, uh, to rescue, they reckon, 100, 200, 300, they're not really sure, but hundreds of people enslaved uh, using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. 
This lady is the most famous uh, conductor on the Underground Railroad. And she was a Christian, and she was led by the Spirit, and she was sanctified and set apart by the Father. Uh, she risked her life out of love. I mean, if you're not motivated by love, I don't know why, why else you would go down there. I mean, you have to be motivated by love to risk your life because at any turn she could be captured and tortured and killed, right? One person said of her, I never met any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken direct to her soul. She had faith in God, always asked him what to do and direct her, which he always did. He never deceived me. I mean, if I could just be like a fraction like this woman, if I could just be a fraction like Mother Teresa, I'd be somewhat on the way to walking in God's purposes for my life. And these are the women that inspire me. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I need, to, I need to wrap up, but I just want to, uh, you guys, ladies, sorry, um, have, have done really well. So, yeah, I've tried to cram a lot in. I've cut a lot out as well, but it's, the, yeah. It's good? Good stuff. All right. Um, so, what have we learned? To sanctify means to be set apart. As daughters, you are set apart, right? You, are, you, you belong and you have purpose, all right? You're not going to forget that one, eh? Um, God's word is truth that sets us apart. We are called to be strong in the word. And this word always leads us towards love. Always leads us in love. And it's that love that sets us apart to be sent into the world. So hopefully you can see we've gone full circle there. And that is John 17, verse 17 to 18. Amen? So that's kind of me finished. And if we've, many maybe, if we've got time or not, I just, I thought some questions you could go away with or you could have a chat with in your own, you know, in groups, um, is what are ways you find helpful to engage with them in his word? And secondly, what do you find most challenging about engaging with him and, and what can you do about that? And maybe, not a, maybe a question you can take home with you is what purposes has God put on your heart and what's he speaking to you through his word about that? Okay, so I think that's me done, but hopefully that leaves you with some questions to think about. What are some ways that you help find, find helpful to engage? I think we uh, engage with him and his word. And what's most challenging about that and what can we do about that? Amen? Amen. Cool. Thank you so much for letting me speak. That's really good.